This episode of Shaun of the South is brought to you by Case Knives, one of America's foremost manufacturers of premium knives. Case Knives have been treasured items that have been passed down to my family for generations. So put down the phone, shut off the TV, and go out and get your hands dirty and build something. Keep your hands sharp with a Case Knife. Thanks for listening to Sean of the South Live. That music here behind me is the Red Cedar Review, Charleston, South Carolina's own band of boys. Brad Edwardson on the disc and box guitar and Aaron Firetag on the string mandolin. The Red Cedar Review. Well, they built a real light and a whole lot quicker for running moonshine and bootleg liquor in the hills of Virginia in 1923. And he never not once thought he might get caught. He never had no trouble out running the law. A motorhead's delight and a moonshiner's dream. He goes zero to 60. Faster than any lawman could blink his eye. He goes zero to 60. Gone in a cloud of dust before you could say goodbye. Well, now he's running liquor all around Thomasville. He's running out of gas, so he stopped to fill. The sheriff comes up, says, boy, I'm watching you. And that moonshiner said, sheriff, you could have me. That is now, son, if you could catch me. I'm the baddest, the fastest, the meanest racing fool. I go zero to 60. Faster than any lawman could blink his eye. I go zero to 60. Gone in a cloud of dust before you could say goodbye. He said, boys, I had it. I'm going to get up, get out, go stop this racket. I'm going to the shop, get myself a new set of wheels. I'll have more horsepower than a stable in Kentucky. The world ain't never known a man so lucky he could outrun my new souped-up automobile. I'll go zero to 60. Faster than any outlaw running moonshine. I'll go zero to 60. Cloud of dust before you can say goodbye. So now here they're coming down Highway 9. You got the moonshine running with the sheriff behind, swerving and curving and speeding as fast as they go. Well, they dodge and they bob through the oncoming traffic, but the sheriff's getting tired and he starts to panic. He pulled his pistol, boy, he let her go. Zero to 60. Faster than any outlaw running moonshine. They go zero to 60 Gone in a cloud of dust before you can say goodbye Shiner hit the gas, he was coming around the curve, but he took it too fast. His wheels started spinning and smoking as he lost control. Zero to 
curve, the sheriff come flying. He hit the moonshiner. Well, they both start sliding through the guardrail and down the mountain they rode. Zero sixty, faster than two old fools down a mountainside. They go zero sixty, gone in a cloud of dust before you could say goodbye. They was gone in a cloud of dust where you could say goodbye. Red Cedar Review, everybody. Red Cedar Review. There comes a time in life when every man will pay for the things he has done. A time in life when the good and the bad things which have been swimming around in the atmosphere will finally catch up to you like a whirlwind making its final journey back to where it began. There will come a time when mankind will experience recompensation For the things he hath done. And that is a very, very hard word. Recompensation. I practiced that at least 15 times in the dressing room before I come out here tonight. (laughs) Yes, this time has been forecasted in many different ancient books. Such as the book of Revelation. They call it wrath. They call it Armageddon. They call it the end of days. I don't care what you call it. I refer to it as... Rush hour traffic in Atlanta, Georgia. (laughs) If you were to view Atlanta rush hour traffic on a Friday afternoon, you would know that you were seeing Armageddon itself. The justice of the Lord God is being poured out onto mankind while all these people of the earth sit in these steel boxes stuck in this godless purgatory. It is a hell on earth, and it is the place where God sends hardened war criminals who have committed crimes against the Geneva Convention, where he sends baseball players who were not able to make that double play, and a place where you will find yourself paying for every past sin and every evil thought you have ever contemplated in your entire life. You will pay for childhood sins like I was when I found myself in rush hour traffic in Atlanta on a Friday afternoon. I was recalling something very bad that I had done when I was a child. I had written a poem in the boys' restroom when I was in fifth grade. I took great pleasure in the way I was able to string together words to make rhymes. And while I sat... On that toilet, I used my pocket knife to inscribe something into the wall. And I wrote, quote, You are sitting where I was sitting. And I thought it would only be fitting to write a poem while I was... I was paying for that poem. I was paying for that poem in rush hour traffic. 
I would rather be stabbed to death with a big pen than sit and rush our traffic on 285 in Atlanta on a Friday afternoon. But there I was. And while I sat there, I thought to myself, I wish I would have brought a pack of playing cards. Or at the very least, I wish I would have brought that manila envelope my lawyer gave me that contains my last will and testament. (laughs) But there I was, stuck. If you've never been stuck in rush hour traffic, here's what it feels like. Imagine you are contained in a steel box with a nasal disc jockey who can do nothing but talk about politics and sex scandals, and you have a full bladder. I inherited my full bladder from my father. I was born with a full bladder, and I believe I will probably die with a full bladder. A few times in my life, this has gotten me into some trouble, this bladder of mine. Stories that I probably shouldn't tell here for fear that I would embarrass my mother. I was sitting in rush hour traffic, and I looked through the window at the car next to me. It was an old couple with white hair, and the woman, she was taking pills from an orange prescription bottle. She was taking at least 10 or 20 of these things. Her husband was both hands on the wheel, staring straight forward. She was popping pills and swallowing them with a bottle of water. She looked at me and she grinned. Once I took pills that were intended for my wife. They were sitting next to the coffee maker. I woke up early one morning and I was a little bit hazy and I was pouring my coffee and I was supposed to be taking an antibiotic for a past cold. Instead, I took my wife's hormonal medication. (laughs) I did this a few days in a row before I started to notice any side effects. The first thing I noticed was my chest began to hurt in strange places. My wife came home from from work that day and she noticed that I had the the thermostat turned down to 59 degrees <laughs> it was cold enough you could hang meat in the house and I was sitting on the sofa and I was watching steel magnolias <laughs> she said what did, did you redecorate <laughs> well not really I'd only bought some some throw pillows from Target because they were on clearance My wife sat beside me. She placed her hand on my thigh. She said, there's something wrong. What's wrong? I began to cry, and I couldn't even tell you why I was crying. And I said, I feel like you don't pay attention to me anymore. I drove a little further on in rush hour traffic and I saw a delivery vehicle. It had a beer company name on the side of the truck. It was a large truck and it was spewing out fumes right in front of me. I pulled alongside it. We were moving at a very, very slow crawl. I have seen turtles move faster than this. And I saw the driver of that truck was a woman with short cropped hair. And she was eating a sandwich with both hands because there was not much need for her to keep hands on the wheel going at such a slow pace. In between bites of her sandwich, she would take a sip of Mountain Dew, the universal energy drink of those who work double shifts. She was drinking it 
more out of compulsion than she was out of pleasure. I pulled up a little further and I saw a young couple to my right. It was clear to me that they were arguing. I could tell by the way they were waving their hands around. The woman was flinging her two hands through the air in that universal manner that women do when they know you've done something wrong. And they know that you know that you've done something wrong. When she was finished speaking, the man obviously had something to say. And when he said it, he lightly tapped both hands on the steering wheel to enunciate his syllables. (laughs) I have tapped my hands on the steering wheel a time or two. Once my wife and I had an argument, which lasted from Carrier, Mississippi, all the way to New Orleans. I had to walk the final five miles of that journey. She finally came back, my wife. She was driving the car. She kicked open the door. And I said, oh, good, you've forgiven me. You're here to give me a ride. She said, no, I just thought maybe you'd need this. And she threw my bag out at me and sped off. (laughs) But arguments don't last forever. You learn who you really are when you argue with somebody. You can pretend for most of your life that you feel one way about one thing, but when you argue, that piece of you comes out, that piece of you that thinks only of you comes out, and you say things. You say things that you claim you don't mean, but they came from somewhere, and you get a head-on look at that piece of you that's just not very pleasant to look at. Arguments. I drove further a little bit in traffic, and I saw an old truck with muddy fenders and a little bit of rust growing on the bottom. It was a single cab with a long back window, and I could see the silhouettes of two creatures, a man and a dog. I pulled ahead a little further, and I saw the dog was a chocolate lab. That dog looked at me through the passenger window, and he had yellow eyes. Yellow eyes of a Labrador are magical. I was raised by a Labrador who looked just like this one. A chocolate lab named Cody, who was a good girl. I have memories of Cody diving into the pond to retrieve a football. She swam about a hundred yards out. She rallied that football and pushed it back to shore. I remember Cody getting bit by a copperhead. The thing bit her right underneath the neck. She got real, real sick and she laid in the driveway. She laid in the driveway on her side with both legs limp and her mouth open and her tongue hanging out. And I knew she was ill. My father and I both helped her into the garage. We made a pallet for her out of old quilts. And she laid there for a few weeks. We were convinced she would die, but she did not die. She was a tough dog, Cody was. I remember when my father died, the day after he died. My mother and I went into his closet, and we packed all his clothes into a trash bag. We hauled them down to the garage. I asked mother why she was doing this. She said, we've got to get him out of this house. We can't live our life with his spirit trapped inside this house. 
Cody had gotten into that trash bag of clothes and she'd made herself a nest out of them. And she laid on that pile of clothing for several weeks. I've never seen a dog grieve before, but that Labrador grieved. I drove on ahead a little bit and I saw a church van in traffic. Atlanta traffic 285, a church van with the name of the church written on the side. It was full of children. Children were dancing to a thumping sound which was coming from inside the van. They were dancing together in rhythm. There was nothing but teeth and smiles seen through those windows. And the man who was driving was a Herculean man with a bald head and a grin on his face. He was looking into the rearview mirror at the children behind him. And he himself was dancing right along with the music. I wish I could dance. The last time I truly attempted to dance was about four years ago at my cousin's wedding. I decided after having one too many Miller High Lifes that I would get out onto that wood dance floor and make up for four decades worth of uncoordinated movements in public. I stepped onto that dance floor and as soon as I had made my first move, something stabbed me in the very lower back. I'm here to tell you there is a muscle in your butt cheek which is called the piriformis, and it is a tiny muscle no bigger than a marble. It will happen like this. You will be on the dance floor, and you will be trying to prove that you are not aging. You have defied the aging process, and as soon as you make your first move, this little marble-sized muscle will spasm, and your spine will go completely erect, your shoulder blades will pinch themselves together, you will jut your head toward the sky, and you will scream a very bad word. (laughs) You will limp back to your table, and you will hear, you will overhear an old woman, an old woman who your mother was friends with a long time ago, remark to her friend, that boy never could dance worth a lick. (laughs) I drove on ahead a little bit, I saw what looked like a Little League baseball team. They were all wearing baseball hats, and there was a boy in back who had his baseball mitt on top of his head. Boy, that brings back some memories. I remember wearing my baseball mitt on top of my head like that. There's some things you never forget. The man driving the vehicle was obviously their father. There's a special look the little league father. He is the quintessential suburban male. He has short hair, which is tame. He tucks in his shirt. On Sundays, he wears khakis. And he very well might have a pair of bedroom slippers, which he wears in his own home. I don't know if non-little league fathers wear slippers inside the home, but I do know that Little League fathers are good men who have learned how to control a screaming pack of 14 boys with dirty minds who know how to give all they got on a baseball field, who know how to feel things deeply, even though they're not always able to talk about it. Boys who are in their adolescence who have a sense of when to hug a woman even though they don't always know what to say. 
boys who, after they have hugged that woman, have another sense of how to break the gravity of the moment with a perfectly timed fart. (laughs) I decided to turn on my radio. I could see my exit ahead of me. It was only about a mile up. I could see the little tiny green sign. The radio blasted to life, and I changed the channel through stations of static and fuzz. The first thing I heard was a political commentator. He was talking about a sex scandal. I changed the channel. I heard Latino music. It was rhythmic music with words I did not understand. I changed the channel. It was a rap station that was loud enough to vibrate my windshield off. I changed the channel. I finally gave up after trying several channels. There's something left to be desired about modern-day radio. There was a time when you could hear songs that actually had melodies. Today, modern radio sounds a lot like two commercial lawnmowers trying to procreate. (laughs) A little ways ahead, I saw a small economy car with with faded paint and a man's window rolled down and his arm was dangling out and he was smoking a cigarette. He was wearing chef's whites and there was music coming from inside his car. It was an iconic anthem written by Merle Haggard about his mama. First thing I remember knowing is that lonesome whistle blowing. That's a good one. That's a good song. And I applauded that young man's taste in music. Traffic reconfigured itself like it does on a Friday afternoon in Atlanta. I was next to that arguing couple once again. This time it was him who was letting her have it. He was waving his hands in the air. She had her arms crossed and she was looking out the passenger side. I am not a palm reader. I am not a wise man. But I foresee a long night sleeping on the sofa for that young man. I passed the delivery truck with the beer name on the side of the truck again. And it was that woman. She was leaning forward on her steering wheel with her fingers running through her short hair. It was the look of exhaustion laced with frustration. Welcome to rush hour traffic. I pull on ahead a little further. That church van was still dancing. Still dancing. Those children have endless wells of energy. Would that I could come back as a perpetual child one day. If I were able to come back as anything, I would want to come back as a child again. That man who was driving their van had given up dancing. And he was leaned forward onto his steering wheel, much like the woman who was driving the delivery truck. I drove on ahead a little bit, and I was positioned next to that old truck, that old truck with the dog. That dog looked at me through the passenger window with serious yellow eyes, a serious face that must descend from the wolf. A fat snout this dog had, which was peppered with white hair. It always makes me sad to see a dog with white hair around its snout. I wonder why God in all his wisdom decided that evil dictators 
could live until 90 years old, but a dog had to turn in its test at age 10. And I saw that young man listening to country music again. This time, coming out of his window was a song by the Oak Ridge Boys. She played tambourine with a silver jingle on there. This is one of my favorite songs. I have seen the Oak Ridge Boys twice in person and concert, and I promised my wife and my friends when we went to that concert I would not make a complete idiot of myself. But the moment they began the song about that tambourine with the silver jingle, all bets were off, and I sang every word with everybody in that auditorium. I saw my exit ahead, and I rejoiced. And my bladder rejoiced with me. I was just careful to not let my bladder rejoice itself all over my seat. I rejoiced because I knew I was only six hours away from home once I took that exit off 285. And for most of that trip home, I would be riding two-lane highways to the country. I would see mobile homes. I would see the remnants of old chimneys and livestock and barns which were barely standing up and circular hay bales perched in the fields like watchmen. The kinds of country highways where you drive along at night is the only car on the road and the cars that you pass in the oncoming lane, if they have their brights on, you simply flick your brights one time, which is enough for that oncoming car, if he's a charitable person, to turn his brights off so as not to blind you. But then every person in this life, sometimes we forget about our fellow man. Sometimes we argue and we fling our hands around and we tap our hands on the steering wheel to enunciate our syllables. And we forget that we're more alike than we are different. We forget to be kind to those who work double shifts and suck down Mountain Dew just to keep going. We forget because we're human. But don't fret about this too much. Don't worry about it because you can take heart and know without a shadow of a doubt that that man who is passing you on this oncoming highway of life and did not turn his brights off, God will one day take that man and he will place him on 285 South in Atlanta on a Friday afternoon. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Sean of the South. I've been your host, Sean Dietrich, and it has been a real pleasure. That music here behind me is Brad Edwardson on the guitar and Aaron Firetag on the mandolin. The Red Cedar Review from Charleston, South Carolina. Music that will make you stand up and move your tail feathers. Find anything more about what they do, you can visit Red Cedar Review on Facebook. To find anything more about what I do, you can visit SeanOfTheSouth.com. And while you're there, I hope you drop me a line because I love to hear from my friends. And speaking of friends, friends, anyone who claims that money can't buy you happiness has obviously never bought a dog. Adios. Adios.